welcome to Blue Royalty, a London is Blue podcast dedicated to the Chelsea women's team. I'm your host, Jessica Humphreys, joined by Abdullah. Abdullah, how is it going? You have escaped the Dubai traffic to make it home. Yeah, I am better now that I'm at home and I've had some food. But yes, I went from Dubai back home and the trip took me three hours by car when it should really only take you 45 minutes. So it's a painful journey, but we made it in time for the podcast. So I think that's all that matters. Yeah, they don't show you that when, you know, like the influencers on Instagram putting their nice pics up. This is the reality. Abdullah's got the reality of that life. Some... Good news, I think, to to start the pod, uh, to chat through. Obviously, the FA Cup draw took place on Monday and we have finally got a non-WSL team in the FA Cup. We've been yes. drawn at home to Crystal Palace, um, which I think is a bit of a relief, really, isn't it, given our schedule? Oh, yeah. I mean, I know there are, <clears throat> I know there are no easy games in the schedule, but I'm glad there's an easier game to handle and no less at home. So it's not like you have to travel anywhere, you know, much. So I think all things considered, it was the best possible result. And, you know, with the players that are going to leave and with kind of whatever would be happening and then Sam Kerr's injury, you kind of just want at least one or two games where you can kind of just play a quote unquote second 11 and just kind of go and, you're still likely to, to win the game. So I think this kind of gives us that um, that opportunity. And at least we aren't Man City and Arsenal. So I'll take that. Yeah, the Man City-Arsenal draw is really the tasty one of the round because every other WSL team has been drawn against a non-WSL team apart from those two. If I was one of those fans, I would be fuming. I also think it's a little bit annoying even from a Chelsea perspective because... Okay, you hope and assume we beat Crystal Palace, but it would be nice if you, some other WSL teams were knocking each other out. But I think we're basically going to end up with an all WSL quarterfinals. I mean, maybe maybe a championship team can spring a surprise. We'll see. Um, but I still think the gap's quite big there. Um, so, but yeah, Arsenal City will be a really really interesting one. I think they don't they can't really have many complaints because. You you have to kind of beat those teams at some point. We've had to beat loads of WSL teams to get, get to the finals. If I was Arsenal, though, I'd be pissed because obviously they were knocked out at this exact same stage by us last year. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, for them, it's like, seriously, one year Chelsea, one year Manchester City. But you know what? It, it is what it is. You, I know I know it's easier said than done because, you know, because we're playing Crystal Palace and, the, and then Arsenal playing Man City. But it, at some point, you're going to have to play one or two big teams on your way to the final and winning it, whether you play them in the beginning or whether you play them at the end is totally up to the draw. So inevitably, if we're going to get to the final and win it, we're going to have to go through one of City slash Arsenal at some point. So it's just that we face them later in the season rather than doing it now. And I'd rather do that later than now. So at this point, you know, it is what it is. You guys enjoy Arsenal and City and... uh you know, we'll just take advantage of the title race. Yeah, also interesting opportunity potentially for us to play our two loanies here at Crystal Palace, Lucy Watson and Lexi Potter. I'm not exactly sure what the rules are on this. Arsenal's loanies were able to play against them um, in their game against Watford, but I don't know whether that's because they hadn't 
haven't signed professional contracts. Uh, technically, Lexi Potter has signed a professional contract, even though she's very, very young. So not exactly sure what will happen there, um, but that might be one that's worth keeping an eye on. Today, we are going to have a bit of a chat around um, the manager news that's come out over the past week. We didn't get a chance to do that, obviously, in the West Ham episode because there was so much stuff to go through. So Abdul and I will sort of talk you through the names who are linked and kind of what we think about that. And then we will look ahead to this United game on Sunday at Stamford Bridge, what feels like, I think, a really big game especially after the West Ham performance so we'll have a chat about that and also sort of the WSL returning in general so let's take a quick ad break here and then we will get into some of that manager chat. So Abdullah the briefings are being briefed on Friday afternoon and I remember it's Friday afternoon because I well Friday lunchtime because I was on my way to the snooker when these Stories came out from Molly Hudson at the Times and friend of the pod, Naz Kinsella, talking about how Chelsea have begun the recruitment process. There are sort of two leading candidates that they named. That's Casey Stoney, currently the San Diego Wave manager. Also, just side note, guys. This is going to mean nothing to you if you're not British. I apologise, Abdullah. I apologise to non-British listeners. But... Nigella Lawson, who's a famous British chef, have you heard of her? Adela's yeah, I, I've watched her show. Adela watches Nigella Lawson. Great, yes. love this. Okay, <laughs> she's global, guys. Um, she once pronounced microwave, microwave, microwave. <laughs> and when I say the San Diego wave, all I could hear is San Diego wave in my head. So, oh my, yeah, I've seen that episode, yeah, which is his microwave. And I was like, wait, what is, is this a new way the British are saying microwave? Like, what's happening No, just here? Nigella. But Nigella okay, can yeah. say what she wants. Yeah, so, that's fair enough. <laughs> Casey that's Sony totally of the fair. San Diego Wave and Laura Harvey of the OL Rain. Oh, not even OL, I mean, they're not OL no, Rain. No, Seattle Rain. Seattle Rain. Seattle Rain. Seattle Rain. They yeah. change their name and their logo every other year. Okay, they're back to the Seattle Rain now. They were the two leading candidates. They were also reporting that people like Luis Cortez, who's currently the manager of the Saudi Arabia women's team, and Carla Ward, who's obviously at Aston Villa, had also been looked at. But there was sort of this list of three, basically. And Molly Hudson also reported that Chelsea were looking to name a female coach to replace Emma Hayes after senior players told the club they would prefer to work with a woman. So before we get into the names themselves, Abdullah, what did you make of that? I think this is quite an interesting um, element of the of the whole piece. I feel like, obviously, to a certain extent, I think Chelsea are interested in going for the best candidate. And I feel like it's probably helpful that the outstanding candidates are probably women anyway so i i feel like if there was someone who was a guy who they really really wanted maybe that this wouldn't be like coming out as much but it's obviously interesting that players are kind of being part of it or consulted to a certain extent on the recruitment process yeah that's that's sort of new in a in a weird way i mean we've heard of you know player not in chelsea in general i'm saying player power and you know getting rid of managers but i don't think we've really heard too much about a squad being asked, hey, so who would you kind of want, you know, coming into the club and and coaching you and um, want the necessarily not names, just like, look, our preference is, is to get a, a get a woman in. And it's interesting because maybe maybe Chelsea are in that, like the players are in this maybe mode where they're like, 
we'd rather you focus and get a top level female coach, which I guess there are more of right now, than a mid level male coach just because you want to, you, you there's a vacancy to be filled, right? And obviously, like you said, Chelsea are going to go for the best possible candidate, but it's not like, you know, let's just say Heraldis has obviously gone to Washington Spirit, but let's say he's leaving Barcelona and he was available, right? You know, and if he's available and then, you know, they say, you can say, okay, well, fair enough. Like, you know, if Heraldis is the best option available and they go for him, then you, then you kind of then see, you kind of have a conflict there, but then, you know, it's understandable. But with him off the market, there's really nobody else out there. We've talked to Willie Kirk. We've talked to a few other managers here and there who potentially could have, taken up the role but at this moment in time really the top managers available and who maybe Chelsea would want um are all female and I mean I, I guess it's a good thing I, I mean I think they're so used to a female touch and, and Emma Hayes being the manager for so long that I think they just kind of want that continuity there in terms of you know women understanding and I think with the whole uh, way that that uh, Emma Hayes kind of took the whole menstrual cycle and kind of made that as part of the whole club. I think another female coming in understands that more than more than a guy, right? For whatever research she gets done. So I think things like that, those small details, make such a difference by having a female manager. I think probably that's why the players went went, went in and along with the coaching pedigree, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I think you've you've summed that up perfectly. I think obviously Emma Hayes has really been big on you know creating a female first program I guess if you, if you want to say yeah. that that you know like the really dialing in on the fact that like this is a football team made up out of women and that impacts the way that you want to run certain things and therefore having a woman at the helm of that um it, it seems a positive thing and you know I I said sort of similar on counter press in the week as well I also think um given the fact that women still really struggle to break into coaching in the men's game, it, I think it's cool and exciting that a club like Chelsea want to prioritise basically giving one of, if not the biggest job in women's football to a woman uh, because, you know, those those other pathways are sort of closed off in other elements of the game. Um, so looking at the, the candidates themselves, were you surprised at seeing Stoney in the mix here, Abdullah, because I think she's obviously a name who lots of people had touted and mentioned, you know, she has technically managed Chelsea before. She was a, a player manager uh, before Matt Beard became uh, became the coach way, way, way back in like 2009. Um, Chelsea was the club she joined as a kid before she went to Arsenal. So she's got, you know, a lot of connections with the club. And she's also the only person seemingly on the shortlist left who's, man who's managed in the WSL recently. Obviously, she was at United before she went to San Diego. But I think most people, despite lots of people liking her as an option, had kind of ruled her out because she's not been at San Diego that long. She's sort of done two full seasons there. She had an absolute nightmare getting all her family out to California. There was a lot of issues with visas. So they basically only recently she might only recently managed to get her wife and, and her three kids out living there with her and for that reason lots of people seem to think she probably wasn't interested in it but you know the the news implies that she's interested in it because Chelsea obviously see her as an option where do you think this is sort of landing at the moment because I don't think there's any question that like she's clearly probably the best candidate on this list yeah it's 
it's strange when you, you kind of just said it there, like it's taken so long for her to get her family. And I think it kind of implies that she had no prior uh, knowledge to A, I think Emma leaving and B, that she would be one of the leading candidates from a search perspective, right? I mean, because generally, if you know someone's leaving, you kind of sound them out maybe a little bit before. But if the news is only coming out now and she's kind of continued with relocating her family and kind of still being there, I think it's um, it is it is quite the uh, surprise, I guess, for for her as well. Yeah, you kind of look at the the options that are there, and obviously, Laura Harvey and Casey Stoney are, are the two top two that they want. I think Casey, obviously, with the WSL experience, and I think the respect that she'd probably get from the players subconsciously a little bit more because she has a connection with Chelsea. Fans will like her, and she will even, um, you know, she she even been in England. So I think the moving back process is probably not going to be as difficult because it's home. Um, I the only thing that keeps me from you know like that gives that doubt in my mind is that like you said i think she's just moved her entire family there and if it's been so difficult you know as much as it's a great job for her to move for and she's obviously interested otherwise this wouldn't be coming out how much is it worth for her to move all everything back to england after just having moved everything essentially her entire family and everything else to the u.s and does the Chelsea project for her right now deem to be more interesting than what she's doing at San Diego? Obviously, she's been there for a couple of years, gone to playoffs and whatever. But does she feel like, okay, I've done my job in the NWSL. I want to move to um, England now. Because not that I'm, I, mean, I hope this is the case because then it's just a sign of success. But I don't know if we're going to get another Emma Hayes for 10 years uh, equivalent at the club, right? You'd like you'd think that it's a three-year cycle, whether they do well or not, and then the next manager comes in, we have that rotating door. Obviously, not on on purpose, but like results based on whatever. I don't know if you're going to get an Emma Hayes person who's going to come in and be given that time and and whatever. Um, so maybe in Casey Stoney's mind is that maybe not this, not maybe not this one, but maybe the next one because now whoever comes in is going to be compared to Emma Hayes everything this this coach does is going to be compared back to all the success, all the methodology, all the tactics. And do you really want to be that manager? So maybe Casey's putting her hat in to, to, to make a good impression to say, I'm interested. Obviously it's Chelsea. I want the job, but maybe at the end turns around saying, look, my family's just here. I'm enjoying San Diego right now, maybe the next time. And then whoever comes in, whether they're successful or not, hopefully they are. And then you, after that, you're like, okay, it's an easier act to follow than it is to follow Amazing Act. So, you know, maybe that's where my head's at in terms of the Casey Stoney pick. Yeah, and it's interesting you say that because I spoke to someone in the US and I was like, yo, what, like, what is the vibe in the US about Stoney and whether she wants to leave San Diego Wave? And they basically said to me the same kind of thing that you said, that, like, there doesn't seem to be any, like, real thought in the US that she will go. And they basically suggested that it suits Chelsea and it suits Stoney to have her name linked to the job, to talk to her about the job even. But that doesn't mean she's necessarily interested in taking it. There's obviously been a lot of talk for a long time about um, her wanting the England job. And Serena Wiegmann this week signed a contract extension to take her to 2027 after the 2027 World Cup. That doesn't mean that she'll last that long, of course, but... 
at the same time, again, there's this, you know, if Stoney's like waiting in the wings, is, does she want to take the Chelsea job if she thinks the England job's available in 2027 or even potentially before? Is she going to ditch the San Diego Wave halfway, what would be halfway through their season? All of these things like do seem to still be question marks, but obviously the club clearly at least seem to be having conversations with her. Um, so that will be interesting to see how that one plays out. Laura Harvey is sort of the candidate who people seem a bit cooler on, which I can understand. I think there are elements of Stoney and Harvey's management which are like surprisingly similar in some ways, although I tend to feel Stoney is a bit more tactically developed than Harvey. Um, Harvey's basically, she spent time at Birmingham, time at Arsenal and then has been at the Reign um, in two separate chunks um, for about eight years um, with with interim bits with the US and with Utah Royals as it was. Uh, with Arsenal, she won three league titles, two Conti Cups, one FA Cup and got to the Champions League semi-finals twice. Obviously, that was a very different time in the world of women's football. I don't know like how applicable that feels right now. Um, she has the NWSL record for most regular season wins. Um, but the funny kind of Harvey thing is she's very good at winning leagues um, or shields, obviously, as they call it in the US. She's won the shield three times, but has never won the actual championship, which is obviously what they care about over there more. I care about shield. I think shields more. And this is funny because Casey Stoney's sort of in the same position. She won the shield last year, but hasn't yeah. won an NWSL championship. There's obviously been there uh, a lot less long. Um, what do you make of of Harvey? I, I feel like Harvey, to me, exemplifies sort of safe pair of hands. I think if you're looking at a candidate who's potentially going to come in and like you were sort of talking about, isn't necessarily someone who's going to be here for five years, but is someone who could get who gets the world of women football, who can understand sort of what the club is trying to build. I can see why she would be an attractive candidate, even if I don't love the way she plays football. Yeah, I, I think I think you, you've nailed it there. I think she's definitely a safe candidate. <clears throat> and I, I mean, I think I think the fact that you said that the fact that she knows how to win a league, you know, obviously the shield equivalent over there. Um, and and typical Chelsea to go get a manager and can have two managers who are good at winning leagues but not great at knockout football, right? Um, and especially when they want to be winning the Champions League. But um, no, I think I think it's I think it's I think it's 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 a it's one of those where you're like, okay, experienced manager has had stints in England, albeit when it was completely different to the way it is now, but still knows England to an extent has experience of coaching over 200 games in the NWSL, so he isn't like a rookie coach either, <laughs> and has worked with top-level players, Megan Rapinos, et cetera, et cetera, right? So I think she's checking all those boxes, and I feel like there's a level of respect that the players will give her because of what she's already done at, at Seattle Reign uh, across two different stints, obviously been with the U.S. here and there. So it's not like she'll be dealing with, um, you know, top world-class players for the first time, right? She would have been exposed to, 
yeah, Alex Morgans, your Lindsay Horans, and et cetera, et cetera. And so when you're going in a dressing room with Millie Breiger, right, and Samka, you know, et cetera, it becomes a little bit easier of a way to manage them just because, you know, you, you've been around these sort of personalities before. And again, just someone who's been kind of in the mainstream uh, football, in a footballing sense, top five, six leagues in the world, NWSL is, is, is I think, growing year on year in terms of their both popularity, but I think also their reputation as, and as a standard of a league. Uh, as a separate question of whether I think most of their players can translate into Europe, but that's, a, that's another question for another day. But at least overall, you're getting a coach that is experienced, knows how to deal with top players. And, you know, if you want someone like like her to come in for three years and do you a stint there almost like the perfect candidate because there's almost like a very little risk in in doing that Mm, definitely Uh, yeah I I think given if I had to put my money on someone right now it would probably be Harvey given my feelings like I don't really know if I believe Stoney's actually in on it there is one further candidate uh Amanda Zaza then broke this story just before we kicked off against West Ham uh, that the third name supposedly left on this list is Elizabeth or better Gunnarsdottir, who is an Icelandic coach who spent fifteen years at Kristianstad in Sweden. Uh, she left last November, um, having been there for a very, very, very long time. Obviously, um, this is like a wild card, Abdullah. She is not someone who's had like oodles of success in Sweden but I think what's interesting about Gunnarsdottir and even though we're talking about the possibility of like a transitionary coach in inverted commas I think actually almost when you look at all three of these managers together all of them actually have experience in sort of legacy building you've got Gunnarsdottir who spent this huge amount of time at one club, Stoney's built two clubs up from scratch, and Harvey has spent, you know, four years at the rain, then then took a break and has come back and is now, you know, sort of in year four there again with a contract that runs to 2025. So do you think the inclusion of Gunnar Stottis has sort of suggests that, you know, this is what they're looking for? They they do want someone who's going to be here for, you know, who who they think can commit for the next three or four or five years. I think so, and I and I think I think Chelsea's model, I think just with Emma Hayes alone, is that we want to be able to, to keep a coach in for the long haul, right? And and plan for the long haul, right? Like the way Emma and Paul Green have done their recruitment and transfer policy is with a view of two years down the line, right? Like you one to two years down the line, you look to sign and do the work to get, for example, Cat Macario six, eight months ago, because you have a feeling and you know that Penelah Hart is leaving, right? As you do that sort of transfer, you get your Vicky Captains and, and your Alejandro Bernabez and all of these young players that we've sent out on loan on the chance that, all right, these players are going to leave. Now, for example, Ashley Lawrence is 29, so you get two or three good years out of her. You get, you get Bernabe out on loan, progressive loan over three years. In a, in a way, she could be ready to come into the first team in the three years' time when Ashley Lawrence is out of a contract at the age of 32, right? Like you, You've got that sort of planning, and that's what they were really good at. If they were to go get a coach who's probably only going to stay there for a year or two max, 
that that concept and model doesn't work entirely because then you're relying purely on Paul Green, the then faux sporting director, to kind of manage everything in terms of a squad management and recruitment. You just and then you just get a coach who's just gonna coach who they have. And then you kind of lose the identity of the team and the and the long-term um squad building, right? So when you have um when you have coaches who are linked who have been in places for a long 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 time and they know how to build a squad and they know how to be in one place for a long time they've seen the ups and the downs of how to chase things that what emma has been doing for 10 years then again it just you can almost see the influence of emma hayes and what she's brought as part of the job description of what a chelsea coach needs to be and i think if not just for the next coach, I think the next few coaches, you're going to be using the Emma Hayes DNA job description as, okay, we need to we need the next coach to be modeled almost after Emma Hayes in terms of these qualities of longevity, squad building, tactically flexible and, and progressive and, and all that. And you use those four or five criteria and see who matches. And if you look at these players here, uh, these, sorry, these coaches here, they almost fit that mold to some extent, right? I don't know what Gunnar's daughter's tactical ide- ideology and flexibility is like, but if you've been there for 15 years, you must have something going on for you. Definitely. And yeah, it will be interesting because I think obviously there does seem to be this interest in in a long-term option, but whoever comes in, if they don't get results at the level that Hayes has got results there's immediately going to be questioned so it's also going to be a really interesting I think tension for the club if that doesn't happen I mean obviously best case scenario is whoever comes in like does amazing from the get-go and then boom we carry on winning everything but I think most people are aware that that probably isn't you know necessarily the most likely uh, option but yeah, they seem to be sort of the three names in, in the mix. Obviously, we will keep you updated with anything further that, that comes out and, and our thoughts sort of around that. But um, definitely, I think, in an interesting selection of names, some expected, some unexpected. And I kind of like that. And I think we can all be glad that Carla Ward doesn't seem to have made the shortlist anymore. Um, So let's take another ad break here. And when we come back, we'll look ahead to this weekend. So we play host to Manchester United this week at Stamford Bridge. This feels like a really, really big game. Um... I feel like, firstly, there's a sense that when I've been looking at the league table, I've sort of had in my head that City and Arsenal have, you know, played the top four all once and we haven't played United yet. Now, I don't know if this is stupid of me to keep United in the top four, given that they're four points off third at this point. They obviously lost to Liverpool just before uh, the Christmas break, so they're level on points with them. But I still think the reality of some of the games that we've had against United recently have meant it is a game that's still worth taking seriously. Obviously, it's the first time since we we faced them since we played them in the FA Cup final, um, which was a game which was pretty tight. You know that they were definitely on top of us in sort of the opening fifteen minutes or so, and that really like Panella Harder came on and won for us. Obviously playing them 
uh, before as well when we played them at home. We basically just about beat them um, thanks to that amazing goal from, from Kerr and the Lauren James pass. But also we've never lost to them. We've won six out of seven times. We've only drawn once. That was when Casey Stoney was manager uh, on the opening day of the season. And we are the only team in WSL that United have never beaten. Um, and the only draw they got with us was when they were at home. So they've never beaten us away. How are you feeling about this game, Abdullah? I am I'm upbeat. I'm upbeat. I think Chelsea have kind of shown this season already that they have um they've come back from setbacks before. I think that's one. But I also think that they kind of know what they have to do. And I think now with Sam Kerr being out, obviously the game against West Ham, the first half didn't go according to plan. You know, Emma Hayes tried something new, Frank Kirby, you know, up front, and there was this whole different front four. And then obviously Mia Fischel comes in, really helps take off the burden and, and scores a goal that, that kind of puts us equal. And then obviously Aaron and Shuka go ahead and finish the game. But I think this team will be a little bit more dialed and a little bit more focused, especially when they know that their talismanic striker is is out for the season, for the year. Um, it becomes even more imperative for all of them to step up and go, okay, we need to make sure we win every single game because we know that our main match winner is is not here. Like, you know, whatever we might want to say, to some extent, all of the players in that team will go at the back of the heads, all right, we have Sam Kerr, right? Like, even if things don't, we have Sam Kerr to help bail us out of a, of a game. And the amount of time that she's done that, I mean, it was that way. I think it was last season as well that, that Sam Kerr was the one that, that got us the equalizing goal against United to, to, to help momentum and push it forward. So she's been clutch. And um, it becomes, it just becomes important. So I think Emma will, will drive home the importance of beating United especially after what happened against uh, Arsenal um, and I don't think she wants to repeat that again and she, she'll remind them of the game against Arsenal and be like okay look this is what happened before be careful you know and we kind of go from there you look United's last few results obviously they beat Newcastle and they beat PSV uh, but before that their last main league game they lost to Liverpool 2-1 on the 17th of December right they um and then, you know, before that, they were kind of on a good run. But then before that, they lost 3-1 to United. So when it comes to these bigger games, quote-unquote, they have they have lost them. But um, you never know with, with this United side because they've been generally on an upward trajectory over the last couple of years. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think I think Chelsea should be able to get the job done and, and, and I think they'll have enough to, to overpower. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think... United this season especially are nowhere near sort of where Arsenal and City are but we know we struggled especially against Arsenal and City it's a bit of a question mark game anyway um so I do feel like yeah we we should beat them but I think the thing that's well the thing that's sort of in the back of my head is this feeling of like okay we weren't great against West Ham there were tactical issues there, but we are sort of always slow after these breaks. So I'm glad we played that game. I'm glad we saw the issues. Now, are we able to solve them at Stamford Bridge? I feel like generally we've got a pretty good vibe going at Stamford Bridge, you know, sort of aside from the like heck and nil nil. But there's also an argument to be made that 
United are the biggest, it's like probably the biggest game we've ever played at Stamford Bridge. And having a convincing performance is going to be really crucial because in the league, I should say, obviously the Champions League games we've had there. But like getting a good performance there is going to be crucial because we've got Arsenal coming there as well. And this is like a big shift that obviously we're on ongoing, like moving away from having our biggest games in the league at King's Meadow and, and all of that brings. Um, and instead sort of trying to create an equivalent atmosphere at Stamford Bridge with numerically more people, but like atmospherically feeling like less people. Um, obviously, Abdullah, you weren't on, on our West Ham review. What did you sort of make of this LJ number nine situation? And looking ahead to United, what, what do you think sort of the solution is there? Yeah, obviously, I I wasn't on the episode and 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 I and I caught him late, obviously. But um, I think that it was just because I think it was just because of the first game of being used to not playing with Sam Kerr, and I think the obvious choice for Emma was to play Mia Mia at, at number nine, and obviously later in the game it was vindicated with her goal. But I think what she's trying to do now, and I think what we talked about in the previous episode before that, previewing the game almost was. I think she used that as an opportunity to find an alternative solution to the main the second plan, which is going to be plan A now, which is to play me official up front. And I think you couldn't afford to do that as much against United and the rest of the games to follow, whereas the West Ham was the only game where you could kind of go in and say, if I'm going to experiment with a front line, it is today and not, you know, in 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 a few games time or for the next few games. And testing LJ up there and then Fran obviously being around and kind of playing. I think Chelsea just maybe maybe lacked that focal point and lacked the um kind of the 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 forward that Sam brings to you know to to the side and LJ I think is obviously has played as a striker before but I think for the way Chelsea plays Sam Kerr is very mobile when she needs to be and but LJ has got a lot more bursts of acceleration and pace and I don't think that works as a Chelsea number nine. I think we'll see the difference when Kat is fit and healthy. She will play a lot more like Sam if I have to make a spectrum comparison than she will as, as LJ. And I think Kat as a number nine focal point and someone who can run in behind and do all those movements, I think is a much better suited player. Even though Kat played a lot of her time as a number 10 at Leon, she'll be more suited to playing as a number nine than probably LJ will in this system. You would have to change things slightly drastically to make LJ the, the focal point as the number 10, as a number nine, and then have different players around her. Because if you want to play LJ as the nine, you need to have runners in behind playing it. So you'd almost have to have Fran Kirby and Guru playing closer to her and making runs in behind for her to be able to, to kind of then pick up the ball and her do whatever she needs to do. And you're going to have to basically have a very hardworking number 10 who's going to do all the other work that Sam would have been doing off the ball. Um, so that's too many changes to have in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, for a team like this right now. So I would expect me official to start on, on, on Sunday and, and, you know, go with, you know, go with that, that focal point and the rest of the team built around that because it just Chelsea look a lot more comfortable when you've got a player who can hold up the ball and kind of bring everybody else into play rather than the other way around. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I also sort of think that in the past, United have sort of struggled to... Their defence, I think, has looked very rattled. 
I think that's been one of the big things that's that's changed for them this year. Um, even though their underlying numbers haven't really changed, last year they were really relying on their defense like coming through because their attacking numbers aren't very high, and we're kind of seeing them regress to the norm a little bit. Like they're not kind of outperforming those defensive numbers anymore, and I think we've seen in the past that the defenders can if if they're put under pressure um can look nervy and i think fischl is much much more suited that to that than lj would you keep sort of lj then in the 10 and then maybe go see if loipoltz is fit enough to to go from the start in midfield with with aaron cuthbert potentially yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah, I think LG. I think LG should be playing. Like she has to. I think LG should be starting games for Chelsea, no doubt. Um, just I think in a role where she's got a bit more freedom to kind of move and do whatever she wants. So yeah, I would probably go with LG at the ten, Mia up front to do the, the the graft and the hard work of holding the ball and kind of running around. Um, obviously Guro and then obviously right wing becomes Fran or Johanna uh, over there and I think I, I like uh, Melanie in, in midfield um, I think Shuka will be asking questions as well but I think just to kind of give um, Chelsea a little bit of balance with Aaron and Melanie Loipels and an LJ as the 10 I think it would be really nice to have uh, someone like Melanie who's a bit more of a tempo controller really good at box to box and controlling the ball there and has that experience of playing in a decently big game like this, I think it becomes important. And then you can always bring in Shukaniskin in, in, in a second half or as a substitute and, and kind of make that real energetic impact that you maybe would need if you're chasing a game or even if you need to defend the, the lead, she can kind of do both roles. And I think I think I think that that works. So um yeah, I wouldn't be opposed to seeing that there. But then again, even if Shuka were to start and you bring Melanie on to do a similar job, then it, it works. But I think Melanie Leupold is more suited to starting a game and controlling it from there when it's nil-nil and there's nothing at stake rather than you're chasing or defending the game. Yeah, definitely. And I think one of the really crucial elements of this is going to be the return of Neve Charles as well. I think that was something that really uh, uh, imbalanced the team against West Ham. And I think having her should hopefully offer more defensive solidity. I guess one other sort of element slash question on the team is could you see Natalie Bjorn getting a start here obviously she came on after 60 minutes against West Ham and looked a lot more solid than than some of our other defenders I wouldn't put it past Emma Hayes I mean I think that cameo would have definitely been encouraging and I think probably better than Emma Hayes would have thought when she was settling into that team and think okay how's Natalie gonna look she's probably had one or two training sessions at the very most um, let's see how she is. And the fact that she performed the way that she did has probably given Emma Hayes some food for thought. I think it'll come down to training and everything, but Neve Charles, Jess Carter, and again, with the games that are, you know, with the games that are coming up, um, it wouldn't be a totally bad idea to, to chuck in Natalie Bjorn, especially when you want to go to Real Madrid midweek in the Champions League and you need to win. And you want to win that game. And, you know, while both are high-pressure games, we talked about this in the Natalie Bjorn episode and even before. These games between Champions Leagues or or the, the WCL games or the Champions League is where you brought Natalie Bjorn for, right? It's, while effectively she's there for three years, obviously, long-term player. 
But it was these stretch of games that are back to back to back. And then obviously the Gold Cup afterwards is where you want to start bringing in Natalie Bjorn, right? She showed that she's ready. She showed that she's settled in and that she can she can do it. She can do a job. So bringing in Natalie Bjorn at, at whatever, right back or center back, if you want to, alongside Jess Carter, let's say you give Jess Carter a rest with Kadisha and Natalie, which I don't know if that'll happen. I'm just giving an example. You want to play those two against United, and then you can bring Jess back alongside uh, one of them for the mid midweek game. You get to give Jess Carter a rest that she probably needs, right? And then you can keep doing that. But I think considering the break that Chelsea have had, they've had a week off, right, from only just just going to training. I think Emma Hay starts her best team, and I would maybe think that Bjorn starts the Real Madrid game for the rotation because then you got Brighton, you know, a few days later on the Saturday when you come back. Also starts the Real Madrid game, so you can go, psych, we got your player. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's got to be the main motivation there. Yeah. Um, just just to finish off then, obviously the, the WSL is back this weekend. We're currently three points uh, clear at the top, thanks to Arsenal's really still very funny loss against Spurs. Arsenal have got Everton this weekend. City have got Liverpool, which could be an interesting one. Other fixtures are... Villa going to Leicester, Bristol going to Brighton, and West Ham Spurs. Um, where where do you see us right now compared to these other teams? In given the context of of Kerr's injury, I think you know pre this, I felt like we were in a really really good spot. Obviously, understandably, the injury changes things. It drastically weakens our squad. There's there's no like pretending about that. But do you think this team still has enough sort of looking at the teams behind them to to push on and win the league? I think the fact that we have a three-point cushion for now, I think is the bare minimum that this team would have needed with all things considered, right? I think if we weren't equal points, there's unnecessary pressure on this team because of the injury. Where are we now? I think we're in a very precarious situation right now because it significantly weakens our squad. And I know that people will say that you can't rely on one player to make or break your squad, but this is Sam Kerr. Literally, you can't help but that happening. I think it becomes super important now for someone else to step up. This is where Frank Kirby or an LJ, mainly I think Frank Kirby, needs to come in and just become the player that Frank Kirby was pre-injury and be the talismanic figure that takes Chelsea forward, even if it's not going to be for 90 minutes a week, whatever cameo she plays, she needs to be able to change the game for Chelsea and on a very regular basis. Now, a couple of years ago, or even last season, you had Penela Harder. So when Sam was out, you had Penela Harder doing that job. And then obviously you had Frank Kirby as well. And three seasons, two seasons ago, you had all three consistently playing together, right? And doing the job. And now you've kind of gone from three down to you know, basically half, like just because of Frank Kirby's injury, not playing as much. So it's very dangerous. And this is where you don't know whether Fran will be able to do that on a regular basis. So that becomes important. Either that or somebody else steps up. And as a collective, Chelsea need to play a lot more, a lot better. Because one draw here and there and one loss here, here or there, suddenly City and Arsenal can use the momentum and, and go forward. Because now you think about it, those two teams behind us are way more motivated to win the game because they know that if Chelsea slip even once, there's a, they have a very good mental... They, mentally, they'll know that they can catch up to Chelsea. Whereas before, 
even if they lost, they were like, oh, but Chelsea are probably still going to win next, probably going to win next week, and they have Sam Kerr. Whereas now that fear factor is maybe diminished a little bit, right? Um, but you know, I, I trust them and his to, to, to kind of solve that problem. But yeah, it's it's a tough one. I think three points is is good that we have three points, but yeah, the other teams are now going to be way more motivated. And I think for Chelsea, they need someone else to come through and 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 really just take up the Sam Kerr uh, man's. Yeah, I, and I think also this is why this United game feels like a real opportunity to lay down a marker because I think you're right about the fear factor. I think it was kind of bizarre the way some people were like, oh, the title race is wide open because I think obviously losing Sam Kerr is a massive blow. But like you said, like that's not all, all Chelsea are at all. And I think kind of being able to remind people of that, even if it's sort of against United, who are a team Chelsea are obviously expected to beat as opposed to a City or Arsenal could be really important in kind of, you know, keeping everyone aware of, of where they sit w- within the title race. Um, but yes, it will be interesting to see. As I say, I feel a little bit nervous about it, but um, fingers crossed uh, we get it over the line. And it's a more impressive performance than the one we saw at King's Meadow. Um, Abdullah and I will be back to chat about that with you on, we'll record it on Monday, so it'll be with you on the Tuesday. Um, as Abdul has mentioned, we have Real Madrid then midweek on Wednesday. Then we go away to Brighton. Oh, gosh. Now that is a game to be nervous about, but also one I'm looking forward to because obviously it's not too far away from me um, before we finish off this absolutely mad run of four games in nine days uh, on Tuesday the 30th in Paris. That's the last um, group stage game we've got. Hopefully, if things go well, against Real Madrid we might already have been able to wrap everything up there in that group so Abdullah thank you very much for joining me today thank you very much it's always good to be back I will chat to you again on Monday uh enjoy the weekend guys hopefully we get a good win and until we speak to you again Chelsea fans you know what to do keep the blue flag flying high <laughs>